The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Scripture is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God. Thank you, Donna. Pray with me. Father, this morning I pray that your word would pierce our hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit bringing illumination and understanding. And Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glories of Jesus, the reality of his nearness, his heart for each one of us, 
no matter what we have been called to, no matter where we serve. Father, get glory for yourself. We need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thursday night, I was at dinner with uh, many of our staff and their spouses, and Randy's husband, Josh, was there, and uh, they had to leave early because Josh works in the FedEx hub. He is uh, a ramp agent or manager in the hub at night. And um, to be honest with you, when he told me that, that they had to leave early, it kind of had a little PTSD moment because I worked in the hub uh, for the last two years of college. And uh, I remember as well being at parties, being at events that I had to leave early and um, see uh, my family go to bed and know that all my friends were either at the party or going to bed while I'm going to work. And some of the loneliest times in my life were probably in that FedEx hub at about 2 or 3 in the morning where I could barely keep my eyes open and I'm sorting those letters one after another, uh, seemingly unending uh, amount of overnight letters. And just the futility of the struggle for meaning in the midst of work was upon me. (laughs) You see, we were created for work. Uh, We were created to participate with God in His creation as people made in His image, and He is a working God. In six days, He created. He now manages and rules and reigns over creation, and we are to participate with Him. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God says, It is your calling, each one of us, no matter how young or how old, to be participating with Him in His work. That's why we should be teaching our children from early on how to do chores, how to help, how to work. Why? Because they cannot be fully human. They can't be full of joy. They can't find happiness. They can't find peace unless they have some some spot, some calling, some place. Unless they're contributing, unless they are putting forth. And yet we all know that work and work alone will not bring us satisfaction because work has been cursed. We read this in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, so says God to Adam, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you hear it? By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. There's the futility. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. We were created, therefore, to participate with God and find some significance in participating in something meaningful in this life as a student, as a child in the home, as a worker in the workforce. And yet it's cursed 
And so we all live within these these two things of being created for significance, created for participating with God, and yet our work and our efforts and our, 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 our output is constantly being pressed down. And that's where we live. It's like we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't, but we're double damned if we don't. <laughs> we, we have to participate. We have to go to work. We have to put ourselves forward. And yet doing so is a struggle. And we all feel the meaninglessness of that struggle at certain points. And you say, what in the world does this have to do with shepherds in a field at night watching over their flock? Well, notice that God didn't, the angel didn't come to Harry, Moe, and Curly. The angel came to shepherds. Well, what were their names? We don't know. Why don't we know? Because God didn't want us to know. What he was saying was, I came to some lowly workers. I came to some employees. I came to a certain segment of the workforce. That's who I appeared to. While they were working out in the field, in the middle of the night. Do you see it? God comes to this lowly woman, Mary. But God also comes to shepherds out in the field where they work, watching over their sheep in the middle of the night. And what God is clearly saying is that God will come to you and me in the midst of our work. God will show up in our cubicle. God will show up at ALSAC or FedEx or wherever you work. God will show up in your school as a teacher. God will show up at your desk as a student. God will show up as you're doing chores in the house. God will show up if you're um, working in the home and it seems endless. The diapers, the cleaning, the meals. God will show up. He is willing to get His hands dirty and come where you are. That's the hope of this passage. And that's the hope of a Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. Let's look at it. The first thing that we need to see as we consider this whole idea that God meets us at work is that God is not always going to give us our desires, what we're longing for, what we're praying for, what we're after. He's going to give us something so much more. God seems cruel at times, not giving us what we want. But you see, God gives us always something better because He knows what meets our desires. The shepherds are out in the field watching over their flocks at night. And I'm sure they were just sitting there. I mean, think about the work of a shepherd. Like 99% of the time, you're doing nothing. 99% of the time, you're just kind of watching. But there's always that moment when that coyote or that wolf or that whatever. You're always looking. You're always protecting. But you're, you're rarely having to fight. You're rarely having to engage. You come now, little sheep. Come now, little sheep. That's what you're doing. And you can only imagine night after night after night after night after endless night. Of watching sheep. 
Now, I'm sure these shepherds were out in the field at night thanking God for all the significance and meaning and joy they were sucking from their job as shepherds. Or just maybe, just maybe, in their heart of hearts, maybe not communicating to each other, they were wondering, Oh God, why didn't you let me be a musician like I longed to be? Oh God, why didn't you let me own the cattle on a thousand hills? Oh God, why didn't you let me be the owner of a... Why didn't you... Why, 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 why? How do I know that? Because that's my heart and that's yours too. How many of us are constantly just thanking God that we get to go do what God's called us to do? I mean, how many of us are not fighting futility? That's why we're always reaching forward and rarely content with where we are. And I have to believe that that's where these shepherds were. I read an article this week by a man by the name of Hugh Welchel. He um, runs a a faith and work ministry, helping us understand um, how to apply our faith to our work. And he writes this. He said, happiness has come to be understood by Christians and non-Christians alike as the individual's experiential satisfaction. Happiness is measured by experiences that are emotionally satisfying. Many of us look for those experiences in work and in our relationships. Ours is a culture in which the managed pursuit of pleasure is seen as the ultimate measure of one's happiness. Even in the church, this pursuit of happiness has been used to justify all types of sin. I'm just not happy with him, says a woman planning to divorce her husband of 25 years. I'm not super happy in my current job. I need to find something else, says the young professional. These are the types of statements made by some Christians trying to justify themselves that their experiential happiness trumps God's plan. Wow. So so what were these shepherds longing for? Was it for the sustainable $15 an hour wage? Was it for a sheepdog that could uh, herd the sheep for them so they could get some rest? (laughs) What does a shepherd long for? I have no idea. But I can tell you one thing. These shepherds were not longing for angel, for an angel of God to show up and announce to them the birth of the Savior of the world. These shepherds were not just sitting there saying, Oh, I just wish the heavens would open and a multitude of the heavenly beings would come forth singing glory, glory. No. And you say, where are you going with that, Richard? Here's where I'm going with that. What they were desiring was, was so much less than what God was willing to give them. And friends, that's you and me. What are you pining away after? What are you longing for? What is it that you are just absolutely convinced is going to fix your life? God has something better and more. He doesn't say stop longing, stop your desiring. Oh, desiring's bad. He's saying, I want you to open the floodgates of your desire, but direct it toward me, not toward the stuff of this world. And I will satisfy you. And I will give you the desires of your heart. 
Because what we're really longing for behind that new job, behind that raise, behind that, that new pair of shoes, behind that, 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 that getting married or that getting unmarried, or whatever it is, is really a desire for Him. He made us longing creatures, but only to be desired or, or satisfied by Him. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could, quote, be like gods, end quote. They could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history, money, Poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. In this tension of being created in the image of God, thus created for purpose and significance in in participating with Him in whatever field He's called us to be laboring in. And that labor being cursed, if you will. We have a hope. We have to look through whatever. And that's what I did in that hub when I was sorting those letters. When isolated in my work, I was thinking, I was praying, I was saying, God, I know there's more. I know there's more. And I know that more is you. Secondly, your work will not save you, but Jesus will. And that's some really good news. What do we do as workers? What do we do as human beings who want to produce? I mean, we're having graduation right now. There's going to be another one this afternoon. Some of you in this room are graduating today. I know Michelle Gilchrist and Emily Frazier, and I know there are others. Graduating is wonderful. It's an accomplishment. You're being, you know, equipped to do more, to be more productive, to participate with God. That's incredible. But you know, and I know, that that's not going to bring you the satisfaction that only Jesus will. That's what the message is in this passage. You see, the angels didn't show up and announce an Ellen DeGeneres or Oprah Winfrey Christmas giveaway. He didn't show up and say, you get a camel, you get a camel, you get a camel, everybody gets a camel. He didn't do that. What did he do? I bring you good news of great joy. In the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. And He is Christ the Lord. And that meant something to these shepherds. It meant something. It was better than a Christmas giveaway. You see, dear friends, this good news is, is the, the, the Greek word used here is euagalitso. And, and it, 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 it's the euangelion of Genesis 3. It's the, there's a promise, there's hope, and this hope finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It's the gospel. This is what is being declared here. Good news of great joy. The, the word here is not happiness. The word here is, is, is real satisfaction, blessedness. And notice it's for all people. 
Now, how can you have hope, uh, one hope that is for all people? It's very simple. We're all alike. We're all longing for the same thing. Whether we uh, make several million dollars or we are unemployed, we are all longing for the same thing. That's what is being said. This is for all people. It crosses uh, across every race, every tribe, every language, every class, every age group, everybody. It's for everybody. It's for all people because we all are fallen in the same way and we all want the same thing. What do we want? First of all, whether we know it or not, we are all longing for reconciliation with the Father. If you go back to Genesis 3, we have all been sent out of the garden. We were created for prosperity and flourishing and health and wholeness, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. We were created for the Garden of Eden, but through the fall, God put us out. And we are all put out ones. We all long to be one with God, to, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful son or daughter. We all long for that relationship with the Father, and that's what Jesus came to give us. Paul speaks of it in Galatians 4, when the time had fully come. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law, that we might become sons of God, children of God, daughters of God. You see, what Jesus came to do is to offer and to provide real salvation in relational reconciliation. You can be reconciled. I can be reconciled to the Father. I can know right now that no matter what I've done in my life or no matter what I'll do in my life, that I am accepted by the God of heaven and earth. How can I know that? Because... It is not based on Richard Reeves, but it's based on the very finished work of Jesus Christ. He did two things. He lived under the law for me. And he lived under the law for you. What does that mean? Every other religion says, here's the expectation, now jump. And how high you jump determines how accepted you are or rejected by whatever God. Christianity says, oh, the standard is so high, no one can ever meet it but the Son of God. And so Jesus came and He lived under the law. He fulfilled the law so that when He went to the cross or when He went to the Father, He said, here, here, here is Richard Reeves' righteousness. Oh, I know, I know what He's done, but here's His righteousness. Now, you put what Richard did on me, and that's what the cross was all about. You see, Jesus atoned. He paid for my sins. And so now, when, when Richard Rees believes in Jesus Christ, God the Father takes my sin and says, Okay, Jesus paid for it. I poured out all my wrath on, on, on him, on, on Jesus, so that now Richard doesn't have to experience that wrath. And now I accept Richard as holy and righteous because, Lord, because you, my son, uh, have fulfilled the law in his place. And so the Father is smiling on me this morning. And you know what? He shouldn't be because I know me. And that's what melts my heart when I'm thinking and believing that gospel. Do you see it? God has reconciled you. Do you know that reconciliation? Well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. Do you think that you have really committed sin or that you have gone so far that the Son of God cannot reach you? 
Come to believe that. Even in this moment, say yes to Jesus. Be reconciled to the Father relationally. All you must do is receive it by faith. Believe it. What are you waiting for? It's offered to you. Come to Jesus. Through faith. Nothing in my hands I bring. Would you come to Jesus this morning and believe? We all long for that reconciliation. And there's nothing else that Jesus has to do to give it to us. You must come. But then secondly, we all long for redemption. We all know that the scales in this world are, are, are bent in one way. We all know the people that should win don't win. And the people that shouldn't win do win. We look at politics as of late and we see that. That's why so many, I think, are being encouraged by the Me Too movement. This is fascinating and encouraging to me. To watch how many are being brought down, how many of those in power who have abused their power um, um, in, in, in um, putting sex on the line for women to have to perform in some way in order to keep their job or get an advancement. I mean, this has been going on forever, since Genesis 3. <laughs> but isn't it refreshing to begin to see, it's even sobering. I mean, Matt Lauer, really? I had to read several reports just to believe it. I mean, on and on we go, and yet there's a leveling, and there's something right about it, because everyone in this room, we all want justice. We all want a world in which the scales are equal and right and honest. We all want a world where it works out for the good. We all want a world where there's righteousness and flourishing, where there's no poverty, there's no sickness. There's... We all want Eden. And guess what? That's what Jesus came to bring. He didn't just come to bring us relational reconciliation with the Father. But He came to bring real redemption in this world. Note... In the passage, we see that um, it's in the city of David that the Savior has been born. What that meant to every Jew was that the one promised who would sit on the throne of David in the line of David was coming, and in his kingdom and in his throne, there would be no end. This is the hope of this Jesus coming. Yes, it's personal salvation. Now I can have fellowship with the Father and come here on Sunday mornings. But we can also go to our labors. We can also go to our sheep and be out in the field at night. And we can say one day, someday, Jesus is coming back. One day, someday, I'm not going to have to experience the meaninglessness of this, but the sheep will actually live in obedience. And there will be no danger for them. And we will live in harmony. And we will rejoice together. You see, one day, someday, there will be no sickness. One day, someday, there will be no sin. One day, someday, there will be no sexual harassment. There will be no whatever it is. Because Jesus will reign as king. Listen to the prophecy of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Are you dissatisfied with the new tax plan? Are you dissatisfied with who's in office? Guess what? There is one coming who's going to hold office. There is one coming that's not going to sit in the White House. He's not going to sit in Parliament in in London. He is going to sit on the throne of thrones. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He is going to do nothing but bring flourishing and prosperity and health and wholeness and reconciliation to the world. A new heaven and a new earth. It will be so much like what we experience every day and what we long for, but it will be perfect. It will be tangible. It will be physical. We will eat. We will feast. It will be better than anything you can possibly dream of because Jesus is on the throne and He will, amen, He will come and He will reign. So tell me about your marriage. Tell me about your children. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about your jobs. Tell me about your school. Tell me... Oh, one day, someday, it's going to be made right. Dear friends, with God, hope is found in His Son who is placed in a manger. It's really amazing to me. Look at what these shepherds leave rejoicing. And yet, what did they see? What did they see? They saw a baby. (laughs) Think about that. How many babies have you seen? I mean, have you ever left it? Oh, that's the hope of the whole... I mean, you're happy for the parents, but that baby can't do anything for you. You know what I love about this? All the shepherds had was a baby and a promise. And they left rejoicing. Why? What's the difference between the shepherd who leaves rejoicing and the shepherd who hangs around very skeptical about the whole thing? Faith. The shepherds believed God. And it was credited to them as righteousness. You see, friends, what has God given you and what has God given me that we can leave Claiborne Temple today rejoicing? The very same thing and a whole lot more than what the shepherds had. The shepherds have a baby. We've got the rest of the story. We know what that baby did. We know what that baby accomplished. We know that that baby grew up and he fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. He went in the ground and he came out of the ground to explode the power of death. He ascended on high and he's coming back again one day, someday to make all things right. I love the account 
that John Cavanaugh, a famous ethicist, uh, even if you hadn't heard his name, if you were in that world of uh, just the study of ethics, you would know the name John Cavanaugh. Well, John Cavanaugh went to see Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And Mother Teresa said, John, how may I pray for you? And he said, would you pray that I have clarity? Just like, I want clarity like you have. And this is what Mother Teresa said. She said, no, I will not do that. I will not pray that you have clarity. Clarity is the last thing that you're clinging to and must let go of. When, when John Kavanaugh said, you know, um, well, anyway, she goes on. She says, I have never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. Are you looking for clarity in your life? Jesus is the only clarity you need. He didn't give you... All He gave you was Himself. And that's all the shepherds had. And they went home rejoicing. So what do we need to do? We need to do what Mary did. We need to ponder these things. We need to ponder what God has done. We need to go to His Word, and we need to press against it, and we need to fill our hearts and fill our minds with what His Word says, and we need to believe it, and it will change our lives. Because what God says, God has done, and God will do. Dear friend, He will come to you in your work. He will come to you in your doubt. He will come to you in your skepticism. And He will bring you hope. Would you come to Him this morning? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for the hope that we have in in You. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You came down. You took on our flesh. You lived in this world. And You did it perfectly. Not so that You might be lifted up and get all the attention, but so that we might be lifted up with you, that you might redeem your church, and that we might be your sons and daughters. So God, I pray this morning that you would move our hearts to receive Jesus, to give our lives away, to say yes to him. Oh God, I pray that we would believe you, Lord Jesus, to bring us personal salvation, but we would believe you, Lord Jesus, to come one day, someday, and redeem this world. To make it on earth as it is in heaven. Father, would you do that work among us? We thank you, O God. And we pray that you would be mightily at work to help us to believe, especially those of us struggling to do so this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.